Hello, everybody. This is Donna D, a.k.a. The Urban Mommy, and I have a new podcast. Today, I have Miss Robin Sears, and she is going to join us today. And we are going to talk about a lot of interesting topics that I think most of you can resonate with. Hello, well, um, hell, welcome. Welcome, Robin. <laughs> Hi, Donna. Thanks for having me here today. Of course. Thanks for coming. All right. So my first question, which I ask everyone is, who is Robin? So tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, family or something like that. Sure. Um, I am originally from Houston, Texas. Um, lived in uh, various cities in Texas until I was a teenager and uh, moved to Florida. And, and now I've been in Georgia for the last 25 years, which is weird for me to say. Um, but it's the longest I've ever lived anywhere. And so um, I do love it here. It's a, it's a great place to be and to raise kids. Um, I have three children. They're all grown now and two bonus kiddos, uh, who are also grown. And, um, my husband and I have three granddaughters and a grandson on the way. Wow. Well, you don't look like a grandmother at all. <laughs> <laughs> like you say you have three grown kids. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. They, um, yeah, our our youngest is 23. So um, that's also part of my story. I um, started parenthood young. I was 17 when I had my oldest son. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, so um, I started the, the parenthood journey um, young. Okay. All right. So what inspires you to be the person that you are today? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of things. I think um, my uh, my children inspire me. I think um, you know the experiences of life kind of propel you to step into something different, and uh, and also the really unique and amazing people that I've had the privilege of meeting in my journey across the last, you know, 25 years have really provided a lot of motivation and inspiration. Okay. So looking back at your past, when you were a teen mom, did you ever foresee this life that you have now? No, I didn't. I never thought, um, I'd be divorced. So I was my, we were married for 17 years before we divorced. And I just never thought that that would happen. Um, although I, I don't really know why I, I thought that, um, statistically when you get married that young, um, it's, there's a, a even lower percentage than in the national average that you'll stay together. And we were two babies trying to be adults, right. And to do <laughs> this grown up thing. And it was, um, certainly a challenge, but, um, I, I don't think I could have chosen for myself a, um, a better life. If I had been able to look forward into the future, um, I don't think I would have been able to put these pieces together. And I'm incredibly grateful for, for the experiences that I've been through that were challenging and for the relationships that I have now that uh, are just complete blessings. Okay. So you are the founder of Above Not Beneath. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. And it's personal and professional development for single mothers. Mm. And as part of my journey as a single mom, I didn't enter the workforce until I was in my early 30s. 
and had the privilege of, I, I worked for an entrepreneurial couple, a husband and wife, and they were really pivotal um, and, and mentoring me and helping me to overcome a lot of um, uh, self-doubt and negative self-talk um, and really helping me to grow into being able to believe in myself. Um, and I think one of the things that, you know, uh, single moms, or they wear all the hats and it's incredibly challenging. And some of the things that they taught me were, you know, to learn how to not take myself so seriously. Life, um, there's a lot of joy in life and they taught me to laugh and um, to be able to uh, just be, um, you know, to laugh at mistakes and you know, take a look at the mistakes that you make in life and say, oh gosh, well, there's a lesson here. Like, let's right. focus on the lesson. Right. Okay. So, so what was it like actually being a teen parent? Um, it was, um, I lost the majority of my friends and, uh, you know, my friends were going off to college and I got married and had a had a child and really had uh, three friends still close with today. Um, and they, you know, they stuck by me, but it was very, it was, it was very, very challenging. So three friends like stuck with you. So what were the, some of the challenges that you actually had to go through as a teen parent? Yeah. Um, uh, well, I think some of it was compounded by getting married. Um, and, you know, my ex-husband was also incredibly young and very immature. I'm sorry, the connection just seems really bad. I was... I was trying to move I'm sorry but no, I can no, hear no, that's you. Okay. You. okay 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 um so yeah some of that's you know trying to finish um finish school and to you know go to college and you know babysitting and who's going to watch my son while I am you know trying to make a better life for myself um and I, I recognized that I had familial support, which a lot of women in that situation don't have. Right. And and part of the reason why I I want to give back to this group of women is because I recognize that I had that and a lot of people don't. And I want to encourage and help other women who don't have the family support find resources. Um, and and learn how to believe in themselves and to trust themselves after difficult situations. You know, we kind of break that trust with ourselves. It's like, no, you can trust yourself again. So, did kids your age treat you unfairly? Um, I don't know that I. Well, I know that there was a lot of gossip at school, right. and some of the friends that. Um, that sort of stuck with me would come and tell me the most outlandish rumors. And I'm like, wow, that, nope, never happened. <laughs> uh, 
you know, so not not much is different, I think, today with teenagers. Um, right. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they they taught um, treated me unfairly. I would just say they they just left. You know, they just ignored me. How old were you when you got married? I was seventeen. Oh wow! So you were pregnant and got married at seventeen. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah, I bet that was a little difficult. That's that's extremely young. I was thinking maybe you had the baby and then got married. Oh my god. Nope. Um, got married in August and had my son in November. So I think there's you know a lot of family pressure for that. Yeah. Yeah, I was just willing to make the best, uh, the best of it as I could. Wow. Okay. So, how long between your first child and your second? Um, there is about three and a half years. Okay. Okay. So, well, that's good. It didn't turn you completely away from from having kids. No, it was, uh, I did have an emergency C-section with my oldest son. And so that was <laughs> traumatic scary. and very scary, especially, you know, being so young and, and not, you know, really understanding a lot. But um, no, we, we had a, another son and then two and a half years later, uh, had a little girl. Okay. So what is positive intelligence and how do you use it? Yeah. So positive intelligence is a way to understand the intersection between your way your emotions affect your physical body and how your thoughts drive your emotions. And so when we can understand how, like what we're thinking impacts the way that we feel and it impacts the way that we react or respond. So positive intelligence, let me put it this way. If I, um, I know where I feel certain stress and fear and anxiety. So if I am really anxious, I feel it high in my chest and my shoulders start to rise. So if I'm aware of my physical body and I'm like, okay, my shoulders, they're earrings now. Like this should not be like, what's going on? It, it helps me to start asking myself questions. Why am I feeling anxious? And to get curious with myself. And so positive intelligence, there's um, a method it's called, they call them PQ reps and really 90 seconds to be able to, to get really centered and to, and to be really present in the moment. So that you have an opportunity to start to get curious and relax a little and to be able to move into the other side of your brain that helps you make decisions to be calm and rational and creative instead of emotionally reactive. Mm. So positive intelligence is just, it's it's awareness of what's going on inside so that you can make a different choice. So do you suffer from anxiety or is this just like a general kind of concept? Uh, No, I would say that um, I suffer a lot less than I used to. Mm, 
But yes, anxiety and I have been friends for a long time. <laughs> I know him too. Yes. We are uh, not quite as good of friends as we used to be, but it's still there. And I think that's just the reality of of life and the way that we live such a fast paced life and, you know, all the things that are around us and that we're consumed by. Um and it, it just, you know, we start to think these things and, and it just builds anxiety. Uh, I think especially when I, I was a single mom and my kids were young and I was trying to commute to work and how am I going to feed them and how am I going to get to sports and how am I, you know, all of those things. And I felt perpetually stressed and anxious and like I wasn't doing a good enough job. Mm. So when you find yourself now, even with your positive intelligence, getting anxious, what do you do? Do you kind of talk yourself down? Do you drink water? What type of things do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do a couple of things. One of the things that I do is the first thing I do when I start to feel it is I just take a deep breath and I'm like, okay, this is anxiety. I'm feeling anxiety. I label my emotion that I'm feeling. So if it's fear or anxiety or anger or or sadness or depression, there's an emotions wheel, a feelings wheel, and I can send you a link to it, but it's really helpful. So the first thing I do is take a deep breath and I just name my emotion, whatever it is that I'm feeling. And then I ask myself, okay, well, why, why do I think I, why could I be feeling this way? And maybe I might list out a couple of things that could be contributing to that particular emotion. And sometimes those emotions make us really uncomfortable. And I know when I am emotionally uncomfortable, I'm reactive and I'm short-tempered and I might be a little bit like snappy and mean in my communication. And I don't want to be that person, right? I don't want to snap at my husband. I don't want to snap at my children. Um, I, I want to be comfortable in the uncomfortable emotion that I've The only way to do that is to label it and to be able to just kind of take that deep breath and be like, okay, I'm really uncomfortable and I feel sad or I, why am I feeling that way? Maybe list a couple of things and then I might take a couple of more deep breaths and just sit back and just allow whatever thoughts come into my head surface and go right by. I'm not going to grab a hold of them and think about them. I'm just going to allow them to go by and just notice, like, I'm just noticing this thought and it's passing by and I'm going to take another deep breath and I'm going to notice another thought that just comes by and I'm going to take another deep breath. And what happens when we do that is it changes the chemical composition in our blood and it releases different chemicals in, you know, in our mind. So it's like this, um, it's a way to, to bring yourself down from the fight and flight that we so often find ourselves in. Um, so that's sort of what I do first is I just kind of name the emotion and then get curious with myself and ask myself why. The next thing that I do really is I give myself some empathy. I'm like, maybe I'm just having a hard day. Maybe I didn't sleep well. Uh, not as a justification or an excuse, but just as a, you know, sometimes you just have a bad day or you get maybe an email from a boss or something that was not nice and it was short, you know, it was, you know, mm-hmm. or you have a negative interaction with a, a coworker or something. 
and I just allow myself to like, you know what, Robin, it's okay to have a difficult day. Take a couple of deep breaths, go for a walk. Like you said, drink a glass of water, do something that's healthy for you so that you're not stuck in that position of feeling icky. So most of us, I'm going to say most of us, because pretty much almost everyone I know deals with anxiety and we know it as anxiety now, but when do you first remember actually being diagnosed or actually being told what you're feeling is anxiety? I remember people used to always say, oh, you're always so negative. You're just a warrior. You always think that something is going to happen. And that's that's what, what, what I was labeled as a kid, but I never quite knew until I became an adult that it actually had a term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say very similarly, you know, I was always that worst case scenario thinker and, you know, I would wake myself up at night thinking about all of the horrible things that could happen. Well, the reality is, is those things 99.9% of the time never happen. Right. And I think, uh, emotions like anger, and fear and there 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 is a good side to them it's a warning it's like a hey bring awareness to this okay well what am I feeling and why am I feeling it it's like putting your hand on the hot stove like that first is like oh that's that's hot this and then it's like okay anxiety you're trying to tell me something now I'm gonna ask you to step aside (laughs) (laughs) because you're not gonna serve me you're just gonna make things worse so you step aside and now we're going to allow thinking and we're going to allow feeling and kind of getting creative with what's going on in the current moment. So, yeah, I would say very similarly to you. It was like you're negative, you're uh, all, that worst case scenario thinker. Um, and, and I didn't really know that that was that that was actually anxiety. Yeah. OK. Um, so can you explain imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think imposter syndrome is feeling like you don't belong. You don't have a seat at the table. You're there, but you shouldn't be there because you don't have, you feel personally like you don't have the correct experience or, you know, why am I here? I, you know, why do they think that I can do this? And, um, so I think that is syndrome. It's this belief that we have that we're not enough for the current role or the current situation. And um, I think a a lot of us have been in that situation where we feel like, you know, you know, how did I get this promotion? Like, I, I, I don't deserve this. And the reality is, is that other people don't see us the same way that we are to see ourselves. Oftentimes they see us as more capable than we see ourselves because we are our own worst critic. I've actually, I just learned this term actually on a podcast probably about two days ago. And I want to learn so much more about it because I realize how much I suffer from imposter syndrome. I Oh, and I just think like, okay, I know it. Is it really the same as just having low self-esteem or being self-conscious? So. Is it the same? I don't think it is the same. Maybe there's a correlation. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a correlation to low self-esteem. Um, but I think you can have, it's 
it's maybe a little different um, in that you might show up well. And I oftentimes feel like if you have low self-esteem, you're maybe not necessarily showing up, mm-hmm. um, showing up well. But I think imposter syndrome is like, you know, people might look and be like, oh, she's professional or she, you know, knows these things or she has this experience. And it's our belief that, well, yeah, have that experience, but it, it doesn't, it's not the same you have you have way more experience than I have so it's a little bit of that kind of comparison also where it's like comparison is a liar you know it is a thief and when we start to believe those things we are robbing ourselves of the good that is for us in the moment that's true um and that that makes sense because I didn't really think that I had low self-esteem I didn't really think that that was me but when I started hearing about imposter syndrome, I was like, that sounds like me because even though people always at, um, they compliment me, they always said they admire me for doing different things. I always feel like I don't belong. So I'm all, I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly signing up for classes. I have like all different kinds of degrees. Every time you turn around, I'm getting another degree. I became a notary, which is different in Louisiana. Notary is like this close to being an attorney in, in Louisiana because we have a different law system. So I got that and they're like, Donna, where do you, like, where are you getting at? I'm just like, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm indispensable, you know? So I'm just trying to make yeah. myself be that person, but it's just, I'm, I'm doing so much, but I'm happy to know that there is a term for it. So now that I can actually learn more about it. Yeah. There's a term for it, Donna. And the reality is, is that every single person that you come across experiences the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And if you ask them, they watch. Yes, I totally have it too. Mm, okay. So um, let's talk about mindfulness. I know it's a, mm-hmm. I like the word. It's a cute word, but what does it really yeah. mean? So mindfulness is about being present in the current moment and not, and it's, it's, uh, it's about like regulating your thoughts and not allowing this story monster machine that we have in our brains that's going a million miles a minute. It's learning how to kind of shut that off and being really present in the moment to be a good listener. And I think, you know, when we, um, uh, I'm also a certified mindfulness instructor. And so I think when we really practice mindfulness, it allows us to really engage with the person that we're talking to and to really hear what they're saying because we're focused on the other person and not on what's my next answer, right? We're not coming up with the answer and mindfulness. Uh, when you practice mindfulness, it is fantastic for stress reduction. And just taking some deep breaths and it kind of, it's, it's, you know, it's very much tied into positive intelligence and PQ. It is very much just about bringing yourself to center, recognizing what's going on with your body, uh, being curious with yourself and thinking about like, you know, we're having, so my goal is just to sit here and be with you. And in that moment, I'm, you know, I'm just feeling the way, like I'm seated in the chair and maybe the way my shirt is feeling on my skin. And that allows me to be focused on what you're saying to me, as opposed to thinking about, you know, 
I've got this grocery list I need to go do. And, you know, you can kind of have this running list in the back of your mind and have a conversation, but you're not really having the conversation. So mindfulness is just about being present in the moment. Okay. So how do you use mindfulness, positive intelligence to, um, to help single parents? How can you put those together to encourage single parents? Yeah. So for me, um, when I teach this to single parents, it's about giving the, teaching them how to take literally a 90 second break for themselves and to, you know, the, it's chaos, right? Raising kids is math chaos and it's hard and there's a million things swirling all the time. And as parents, we are constantly worried about, you know, their grades and their friends and their activities and all the things. And when you practice mindfulness and positive intelligence, it's literally about like going back and saying, you know what? Okay. I just need a couple of deep breaths to allow myself to be in this moment with my child because they have something to say to me. And I really need to listen and hear what they're saying. And that benefits them because our kids want to be heard, right? Mm -hmm. And as children, they can see how stressed we are as parents, right? They feel it. They feel it. And so when we can take a deck and take a deep breath and, okay, like I'm really stressed out right now. I'm not hearing what my son is saying. Like, I cannot tell you how many times one of my kids said something to me. And then later on, I was like, you never told me you were doing that. And they're like, yeah, we had a whole conversation. Right. That's me. Right. Okay. I'm guilty. Like I wasn't listening. I wasn't in the moment. I I, I was thinking about 10 other things. So um, teaching this to single moms, it's an opportunity for them to reduce their stress and to learn to be more present with their children and with themselves. Okay. So you and I, most adults, we learned all this stuff as we became adults. We didn't go through this as children. So now that we are more mindful of the situation, how can we teach our children differently? Yeah, I think it's just having a conversation. It's like, do you notice sometimes when mommy gets stressed and how maybe I might be like, ah, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so uh, mommy's trying to do a better job with that. And I'm going to do this, some deep breathing, and it helps me calm down. Um, do you want to practice it with me? And little kids will think it's fun. You know, your teenager is going to probably roll their eyes at you. Right. Right. And give you that look like, yeah, mom, you're nuts. Um, but you know, we kind of wield a little, a little authority over them. It's like, well, you know, you can practice this with me or you can't have your phone. Like, you know, here's this thing, uh, because it's good for you. Um, and so I, I do think like little kids will, will think it's, will think it's fun. It's like, I like to put my hand on my chest and one on my stomach. And when I take a deep breath, just feel the way my body feels. And just, oh, I feel it. And then like your shoulders start to relax. And so it's having the conversation with your kids. Like when you feel angry, I want you just to take a really deep breath and hold it for a second and then let it out. And how do you feel? And just, it's just asking them and inviting them into the process. Okay. So when we spoke about imposter syndrome, we found out exactly what it, it was, but what is your advice to someone that is currently dealing with it and they are trying to 
So my advice to someone who is dealing with imposter syndrome is, first of all, to and to yourself. Sorry, sorry, it went out. I was saying, what is your advice to to them to get through that imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think my very first thing would be to, one, recognize that. So if you are actually having the thought of like, I think I have imposter syndrome, that is that's a powerful thought to have the recognition. The second thing I would say is to be empathetic to yourself, to give yourself some empathy, the same kind of empathy you would give to a friend in need. And what would you say to your best friend who said to you, like, I got this promotion and I don't deserve it. Like, I can't believe they think this. What would you say to that person? And I think the third thing to do is just take those very same things that you would say to your friend whom you love and to say those same things to yourself because you deserve the same sort of love and compassion and kindness that you would offer to your friend. Because the reality of the situation is, is that you do deserve the seat at the table. Your mind is telling you that you don't, but it's a lie. So why are you believing why are you believing that lie? You are an intelligent, kind, hardworking, resilient, beautiful individual who doesn't only deserve a seat at the table, but you deserve to own the table, right? Because that's how hard you've worked in your life. So giving yourself the credit for those things. Okay. I like that. Okay. So if you were to meet a 16 year old right now that came to you upset, stressed, anxious, because they just found out that they were pregnant, mm. what would you tell them? Yeah. I think the first thing I would do would be to give them a big hug and to tell them it's going to be okay. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of details to work out. There are a lot of, um, you know, things to consider, but I would tell them that it's going to be okay and they're going to be okay. Okay. All right. And my favorite question is if you could talk to 17 year old Robin, what would you tell her? I would tell her um, that things are going to turn out better than you expected. Um, that the hard things that you experienced um, while in the moment you literally felt like you were dying and your heart was being ripped out of your chest, um, that there are beautiful lessons that come from that and to not be afraid to feel the pain of those situations because the lessons and the resiliency and the fortitude that comes from those experiences are irreplaceable and they will serve you well later in life. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. So is there anything else that we did not talk about that you would like to, um, that you would like to bring up that you would like to address? Um, I think the single parent thing, the teenage parent thing, even though our numbers have decreased, over the last couple of years when it came to teen when it comes to teen pregnancy but we still have some situations where you know young girls are still going through that um do you think there's anything else that we need to bring
said, Donna, you were mentioning if there was anything else I think we needed to cover. And I would really just want to encourage people to, um, if you're listening to this, to um, offer yourself some self-compassion and to become empathetic to yourself in as a daily practice. You know, when we make mistakes, we tend to be very judgmental of ourselves and it doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve you. What serves you is saying like, huh, I wonder how I could handle that situation differently in the future. I didn't get the outcome I wanted. What could I do differently in the future? That serves you. Beating yourself up does not serve you. So I would encourage people just to become very um, kind and empathetic to themselves. Okay. Uh, can you let the listeners know where they can find you, where they can support you? Sure. You can find me on my website, Above Not Beneath Work, and also on Instagram at Above Not Beneath Coach. Okay. Instagram and then on the website. Yes. Okay. Oh, and my Just podcast too. Sorry, I have a podcast as well, <laughs> Above oh, and Not Beneath. <laughs> can't forget that. <laughs> yep. Of course, the podcast that's important because you you look towards single parents, right? And you help them, you encourage them to keep going, right? Yep, yep. And then I also talk to organizations that are supporting them as an opportunity to provide awareness to the amazing work that they're doing, and then also uh, awareness, you know, for someone who maybe might need their service. Okay. All right, that's awesome. So thank you so much for the work you're doing because I was a single parent for a long time. So, and I probably could have used a lot of help. I had a lot of self, I had a lot of doubt with myself. I was kind of scared. I didn't know what was going to go on. So I completely understand the part you said about having support with friends and family and all that. I mean, I had family support, thank goodness. But, you know, sometimes as a single parent, there's some things that you don't really want to go to your family about. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I do appreciate the work you're doing and I hope that more people can learn about it. So I hope you guys listen to Robin and you go follow her and go check out that podcast because it's all about helping people to become better. Yeah. Thanks, Donna. I appreciate it. Right. I appreciate you. Thank you again, Robin, for being a guest. Thank you for enlightening us. Um, Sorry, I had to be on the road <laughs> but you know that's it that parent right? thing coming in it is it's it's life of a mama <laughs> always on the run yes it is it is uh, but thank you so much um bye-bye bye-bye thanks donna